Well, good morning. It is so good to be with you this morning and to be uh, worshiping with another body of Christ, uh, the church here in western New York. It's amazing to see what God is doing and, and how God is growing it and to think that you have another campus renewal here in, in town and to uh, just share and to sing these songs as we sing about holy, holy, holy. And I think about there's only one name, there's only one person that we would ascribe that to and that would be God. And all over western New York, all over the, the world for that matter, last week we had a a persecuted Christian from a Muslim country come and share with us and just overwhelm us with the way the gospel is spreading in other countries. And uh, through this one man, over a million Muslims have been converted since 2002 and hundreds and thousands of churches uh, for that matter. As a matter of fact, he talked about um, his church planting, uh, you know, uh, marketing campaign. He said, listen, I've had 56 church planters die 500 homes burned, so if you want to sign up for church planting, come see me. And you know what? People are still signing up for that because the gospel is alive because God is on the move and God is working. As Milo mentioned, my name's Derek Castronova, and it's a pl- uh, my privilege to be here today with you. Um, a little bit about myself. I grew up in Buffalo. I'm a Buffalo guy. I was away for about 10 years, uh, about a year and a half uh, for, for a little while, and then 10-year stretch where I was in Fort Myers, I was in Nashville, Cincinnati, and then back home where God called us to plant a church. My wife and I um, have been married this May for 24 years. I married my high school sweetheart. We met at Christian Central Academy uh, in the seventh grade, and that's pretty cool. Now, I have to tell you a little bit of my, a little bit of the, uh, the bad part of my story. I have five, I have five children by three different women, okay? Let me explain. Um, we have two biological children, Samuel and Savannah, and then we adopted a little boy from Haiti, and uh, he has been with us now for 11 years this coming June. And then we started fostering, and we adopted a little girl through the foster care system, and then lo and behold, her mother was pregnant again, and so we took on her little brother, and we just had our final appointment in our house uh, last Friday, and he is, has a docket number, and we're hoping for the end of February, that March at the latest, that he'll be officially adopted. He's been free for adoption. So that's why I have five children by three different women. My wife's not really fond of me saying that, but it is true. <laughs> but uh, we, we, we love our kids, and, and we love uh, to sh- express God's heart as it bleeds for the fatherless, the widows, the orphans. And so... That's something we're a big part of. And you know, so you can just imagine a meal at our house, a family meal. I'm sure some of you have more kids than that, but we have, you know, our youngest is two and our oldest is 21, so it's kind of crazy. And uh, whenever we go into a restaurant or anywhere for that matter, it's, you know, the Castronovas have arrived. It's, it's definitely chaotic, um, but it's, it's a lot of fun. And we spend a lot of time when we can together. And as we look in Scripture, and we're going to look today in a reference of Scripture, there's multiple references in Scripture where Jesus is spending time with people around a meal, because there's something about being around a meal. There's a certain intimacy that's involved. Uh, There's uh, not an intimacy involved when you're at Chipotle, and you know, they have that kind of shared uh, tables and stools, and and you can't find a seat, so you ask a couple people, hey, do you mind if I sit at your extra chair? There's, There's not intimacy there. But there's intimacy when you invite someone into your home. When you invite someone to share a meal with you and to, be, uh, to, to do life with you because you've, you've stripped back, you know, just the, the superficial, and now they're in your home and they're doing a meal with you. Jody and I uh, can relate. We've been all over the, the, the country, as I mentioned. And so new into many cities, people have taken us under their wings and invited us into their home and, 
and sharing in that meal, it, it made us feel loved, it made us feel valued. And it's interesting too because there's a certain etiquette involved when you go into certain people's homes. You, you, you know, you would do certain things in one home maybe, or you'd see something that would be done in another home and it wouldn't be done in the other home. So, so it's difficult. And I've been all over the world for that matter too, and so uh, in other countries, I've been able to, to uh, be blessed to go and travel and watch certain things that are etiquette in one country and certain ways they prepare food and looking at some chicken and go, that's been on the counter all day since this morning, but you know, I'm alive to talk about it. I mean, there's certain things that we do. And then there's this one reference, excuse the reference, but it was, a, it was a, I think, a Miller Lite commercial. And um, it was, they just would show the hands of someone working in their garage, all greasy, and he'd crack open a beer, but then he'd grab a sandwich with these greasy hands, you know, and he'd just eat his sandwich. And I can relate to that. I, I love to work with my hands, building my house, and sometimes I just get so focused and doing some work, and I'm just grabbing food, it falls on the ground, I eat it, you know, whatever, just what we do, right? Well, Jesus encountered a situation here in Luke chapter 11 where etiquette was, was part of the issue, but the issue was much deeper, and Jesus used this situation to expose the heart of people. And so that's what I'm hoping happens today. I'm hoping today we would see past the superficial, see, see past what we even think is right and proper, and we would go deeper into our hearts. And so let's look at, let's look at this a little bit here. Luke chapter 11, it's an interesting, interesting uh, Situation: A certain Pharisee actually invites Jesus into his home to have a meal. And uh, Jesus doesn't wash his hands, which is a big deal. And Jesus sensing the heart of the Pharisee, and, and I don't believe there's anything omniscient here. Jesus was God, is God, he's omniscient, he knows everything. I don't believe he used any kind of supernatural, na natural, like, knowledge to know this guy was pretty mad. He could see it all over this guy's face. He was so offended that Jesus didn't wash his hands. He wore his disgust. And so Jesus wasn't ignoring the importance of washing your hands, but Jesus was doing something to expose a much deeper issue here. It was more than just cleansing your hands because the Jews would believe that if you cleansed your hands, you were cleansing the whole body, and that was just so superficial. We know Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount is, is speaking, and he says in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So it's not about your hands and your exterior and this looking good. It's about this being really what it's supposed to be. And so let's look at the scripture here. Read with me. I believe the words will be on the screen. I'm reading from the New International Version of the New Testament. Luke chapter 11, verse 37 through 41, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also, but give as alms, those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Jesus is using this moment, using this idea that you're supposed to wash your hands to take them much deeper, to take them, uh, not turning it inside out, but, but really turning it upside down, their, their philosophy, their theology, if you will. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 19.14. It says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, 
O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Well, my mouth, words come out of my mouth at times, and other people can hear them, and they can use it as an, an opportunity to judge if I'm walking and living right, and rightfully so, but they don't really know my heart. God knows my heart. He sees my heart. So this prayer is to really have the inside and the outside kind of in line with, with watching, with, with walking, and, and humbly before God. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. See, God wants the whole of us, not part of us, not pretending. He wants us to be real. Now, he doesn't stop there. You can just imagine how they're responding to him, and he continues and actually rebukes them with these three woes. And I think these three woes make a lot of sense for us today, because I think at times we can live like a Pharisee. Let's look at the next set of verses here, Luke 11, 42 through 44. But woe to you, Pharisee, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seed in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. These woes got people's attention. Hopefully they get our attention today, too. This first one was about tithing. Now, we all know that tithing in Scripture in the Old Testament specifically talks about giving a tenth of your means to God, giving back to God. Where the Old Testament is about a, a percentage, the New Testament's about a proportion. But these Jews were giving the littlest things, herbs and mints, the littlest trivial things. If they, if they collected some things, they were giving 10% back to God. And while that's good because it was commanded, that's where they stopped. Jesus is saying there's so much more. There's matters of justice. There's matters of kindness. There's matters of love and righteousness. Don't think you can check this off your list and just give 10% and be okay. I want all of you, he's saying. And you... You have this responsibility as a Pharisee, someone who knows the law, to make manifest, to make known the love of God, and just thinking that you give God his 10% and you're done. Woe to you, he says. Galatians 5, 6, Paul is speaking to the church, and I, I like the message paraphrase of this verse because it says this. It says, for in Christ neither our most conscientious Religion or disregard of religion amounts to anything. Listen to this. What matters is something far more interior. Faith expressed through love. Man, you can talk a big game. You can say you love God. You can, you can have perfect attendance at church. You can serve. You can, you can give. But really, is it all of you being given back to God? Or is it just an outward thing? Is it just a percentage? The second woe is pretty interesting. It was in response to the Pharisees' uh, desire to have the best seats in the house. Uh, Milo, I don't know what it is, but at our church too, we have this gap in the front. I, I don't know if it's bad breath, so I did bring a breath mint here. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to put it in now, but we have this little gap here in the front. But these are the best seats in the house, folks. Uh, you know, I just want you to know, you back row people, would you raise your hand real quick, back row people? Okay. God calls people to the mission field from the back row. I just wanted to tell you that. So you may want to move up next week, okay? But these are the best seats in the house. The Pharisees would sit up in these best seats in the house. They're actually seats up high. 
So people could look up to them and see them. Oh, look at the Pharisees. And they could look down at the people, which is pretty much how they live their lives. Woe unto you, Pharisees, the best seat in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplace. These big, uh, boisterous greetings that would attract attention to themselves. Again, everything was outward. Everything was symbolic. Nothing was, was really a depth. Nothing was really penetrated their hearts. They were fond of the outward show. I wonder how many of them invited people to dinner. I wonder how many people looking down from their seat or in the marketplace looking over the shoulder of the person they were hugging saw people who were lesser than them who said, I need to invite that person to dinner. I need to reach out to that person. Now listen, I've got to give this Pharisee that invited Jesus to dinner a lot of credit. I mean, he took a chance, right? I mean, he, there was part of him that was like, this guy, there's something to Jesus. People were attracted to him. He was performing miracles. He was, he was righteous. He was holy. There was, a, there was a, a magnetic pull towards Jesus, as there is, as he woos us into relationship with himself. And so he invites this guy into dinner, and, and, and I think, man, what a great thing that was. But then he couldn't get past the fact that Jesus didn't wash his hands. As soon as Jesus didn't wash his hands, his rule-based system, his doctrine of right and wrong that superseded God stepped in, and he was then blinded and blocked off from everything that Jesus could be and could have been to him. How many times are we like that? We let tradition kick in. We let the way we've always done something before kick in, and we miss out on what God is trying to do in our lives. Woe to you. These people that God had given a mandate to hold the law to teach the law, to serve the law to, with people. They were just judging people, and it was holding them back. Jesus was sitting in a very high seat in heaven. He stepped out of that seat. Philippians 2, chapter 7 says he emptied himself and became nothing. He became one of us. And now we have the Pharisees thinking that they are above Jesus. When we as people, called by God's name, called into relation with God, are called to empty ourselves, forget tradition, forget superficial things, and to walk in a way in which God would use us to love and infect and minister to people, to invite people into our tables to serve them and love them. There's no better place of fellowship than at a dinner table. There's no better place to speak value into a person's life. When you invite them to a meal, you look at the early church, it's exploding. And what are people doing? They're opening up the Word of God, they're sharing in a meal, and they're giving to one another. It's pretty simple. I wish the church could be that simple again. I wish we could get back to that, but we live in a different day and age, a very complex day and age, but, but it was all revolving around food. We have journey groups or small groups at our church, and, and um, we take people through an initial small group called Discovery, and we have a lot of food at that Discovery, and we, we want to impress upon people that just get people to eat and enjoy and, and, and share in food, and it's going to, I think, lighten the mood and get people receptive and talking and whatnot. And then our journey group typically has a lot of food. I mean, we have, I have a, te a text on my phone, and our journey group kind of facilitator, she puts out, okay, I'm, I'm doing this, who's bringing this? And I'm like, just everybody just bring whatever, but she says, no, it has to be more organized, so that's cool. We let her have it more organized. But we have a spread every week at our journey group. 
And other people are like, you eat that much at your journey group? I'm like, yeah, we just, we just eat. It's just so good to be around a table. The time, the organic conversation that happens sitting at their kitchen counter or at their kitchen table or food in the living room. There's like 14 of us in a journey group. And we try to make sure we spend time with different people every, every week in that pre-study time. I mean, th- that, those times are, are priceless because there's food being shared, there's a common denominator there, and we're speaking and listening and loving and praying, and it's just a beautiful thing. And so this is what happens when we break bread together with people. So that Pharisee had it right. He brought Jesus in. Did he want to impress Jesus? I'm not really sure. But then he missed the point because he couldn't get past that. A great part of the Gospels is Jesus with this table talk. Usually it's at the table that we hear the stories of others or we get to share our story. Here we have Jesus now speaking again this third woe. As we get to that, I just want you to know that every time that Jesus spoke something into people, it wasn't, it wasn't this in-your-face, like, I want to make you feel insignificant and, and stupid. I want to make you feel like you're worthless. It wasn't the way. It was truth. Jesus would, would speak truth, and truth sometimes hurts, Right? When someone tells you the truth that you don't want to hear, sometimes it, it, it bothers you at first. But if you take a step back and walk in the Spirit and uh, listen to what God is telling you through other people, sometimes that can be a very beneficial word in our lives. And so Jesus, you know, he, he never pretended. He never, uh, you know, used uh, a false motive to get with people. He didn't endorse things that were wrong. Here he is though, at their table, never rude, never offensive, just speaking the truth in all circumstance, really a perfect example of perfect love, of, of gentleness, of kindness, but truth. And so he's seated there at the invitation of the Pharisee, and I'm sure there were others there judging him for not washing his hands because he didn't go through the ceremony. And again, they felt like if they just washed their hands, that was enough. Like if they just gave 10%, that was enough. There's so much more. There's our hearts involved. How often do we spend all of our energy on our outside appearances and pay little to no attention to the condition of our souls? How often do we spend all of our energy on our outside appearances and pay little to no attention to the condition of our souls? When is the last time you did a soul check? Sure, you can check off the list of church and, you know, going, going to uh, work and taking out the trash and, and reading a, a bedtime story to your family. But when is the last time you really went deeper into your soul and checked how you were doing and allowed the Holy Spirit to put his, his searchlight in your whole life and go, expose these places in my life, God, that are not right? Because we can get in a rhythm where we're just kind of running and going and doing, and we don't really go to the soul. Jesus said, this washing hands thing, I'm not doing because I I need to tell you that you're in a bad rhythm. You've got a bad system here going. You need to go much deeper. You need to go to the soul. And Jesus' honesty calls us, calls them and us to reevaluate our outward cleansing and points them and us at times to address the filth within our own lives. The third woe is an interesting one. Probably they got their most attention. If you were a Jew, the last thing you wanted to do was step over an unmarked grave or to come in contact with any kind of a dead carcass. If you did that, you were very, very unclean. 
uh, unclean, you had to take a period and you had to wash yourself. You had to spend the time purging before you could kind of re-enter the religious society if you stepped over a grave or touched a, a dead body. Jesus is saying here, listen, you may look good on the outside, but you're like death on the inside. Look what it says in Luke eleven forty five through 52. One of the lawyers answered him, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear. And you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore, also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they have killed and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you lawyers, listen to this, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. So this third woe, which was in the verses a couple before that, was saying to them that not only are you tithing just a little bit and thinking you're good, not only are you wanting the best seats and the best public displays amongst yourselves, but, you, but it's just a facade because you're really not serving. Not only all that, but you are like you're stepping over these graves. You, you don't even realize it, but you are unclean. Don't get in a rhythm in your life where you think you can do all these little superficial things, but disregard the state of your heart and your soul. Because if you do, you're unclean. And these lawyers, they were there with the Pharisees, and their job was to kind of be the last line of defense for the law. Their job was to, for, for the Pharisees to look to the lawyers and go, yes, that is exactly right, or no, that's not right. Their job was to hold this key of knowledge. And, and their job was to be an accountability system. And instead of being accountable, they just were in cahoots with the Pharisees, and they used the law to, be, to create a, a, a chasm between them and the people. Instead of holding this key of knowledge to be able to unlock the door and invite people into their tables to fellowship amongst the, the true bread of the Word of God, they locked the door and kept people out. And so for us in our lives, we are called not to be like that. We are called to be people who would first check our hearts and then open up our homes and our lives to others to look for the people who are hurting and broken and offer them the key that we know that is Jesus Christ, the key to salvation, the key to love. You lawyers, you're supposed to be the final authority expounding on the law, but instead you're too busy telling people what they can and cannot do. You're too lazy to do anything yourselves. I don't know about you, but there's a rhythm that I can get in my life where I'm like, I'm tired. I deserve some time to rest. And rest is good, right? Or there's a time in my life where I think, well, I, I've worked really hard. Let somebody else do that. And very quickly, you can look and kind of take an inventory and go, I've been pretty lazy. You know what? I, I'll, just, I'll just write a check. Send those kids on that mission trip or those adults that are on those mission trip. When you think and you know in your life, in your heart, man, I've never gone myself. I would love to go, oh, I'm too old now. You're not too old. There's opportunities for you to go, but it's easier to kind of just write a check and send somebody, 
God is saying to us, give me everything. Let me handle, you're too old, you're too young. Let me handle that you, what ability you think you have or you don't have. Don't rely on someone else to do the work. Give God everything, not just 10%. I love this quote. It's, I don't know who it's from, but it's on the screen. You can test the measure of a man's spirituality not by the pious look on his face, nor by his words, but, by, but very largely by his use of the means which God has entrusted to him. I'm not saying you shouldn't give, because some of you God is blessed with provision and an abundance that your part of the equation is not solely, but a main part of it is for you to contribute and to give more than others can give, proportionally and in, in, in total. But so much of our lives is thinking that when we get to this place and we enter into this sanctuary and we've got our Bibles and our highlighters and we're ready to go, like that we've arrived, this is not the place that the work of the ministry happens. As Jesus is looking back to Jerusalem, there's a pretty big distance between him and there. And there's a lot of things that need to happen outside of the walls of this church. The church isn't even a building, it's the people. It means the called out ones, the sent out ones. This is just a building, bricks and mortar. You, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, the beloved, we are the church. You are the sacred space in which God's Holy Spirit dwells, and you go out. And where you go out, are you judging? Are you, are you limiting? Are you checking things off? Or are you opening up your heart like Jesus would to people in your workplace, in your families, in your neighborhoods? Because this is what God is calling us to do. These lawyers, they built shrines and idols that distracted from God's tender mercies. You see, a real reflection of the inside is what you do to love and serve those who are on the outside. Let me say that again. A real reflection on the in, of the inside is what you do to love and serve those on the outside. So take an inventory. When is the last time that you opened your home up to another person? When is the last time you invited someone to fellowship with you? My wife and I tried the best that we can with the craziness of our home to invite people in as much as we can. We haven't done it as much as we did when we started the well, you know, eight years ago. We would have one or two different couples over our house uh, a week, and that's before we had uh, more children than we have, so life's a little crazy. But anytime we can, I'm currently the chaplain for the University of Buffalo football team, and so a lot of football players, home away from home, we invite them to our house to meals on holidays and other times. Because it speaks value to someone when you do that. But it's not just inviting people into the safety of my home or inviting people to church, which is great. It's going out where people are. And a real reflection of my inside and where I'm at is what I'm doing to love and serve people who are on the outside. And sometimes, yes, that's inviting them in. But many times it's me going to them, adjusting my schedule, changing my priorities so I can be more postured to love people better and more efficiently. Now listen, all of us today, all of our stories, if we're honest about ourselves today, all of us can relate to these. Do we care more about how shiny and clean our church is and our outward appearance than people who are broken and hurting? Are we only wanting to invite people at church that we think we'd get along with or on the outside that would be nice to get to know? 
or do we look for people who are smelly? People that are smelly, it's awkward, not going to lie. They're, uh, it's, it's hard to eat a meal, too, because you use your nose a lot when you're, when you're eating, right? But guess what? I was smelly to God, and sometimes I still am. And God broke through that barrier and came to me where I was and invited me into a relationship with him. This is what we're supposed to be doing, actively pursuing. And when's the last time you invited someone to taste and see that the Lord is good? We, again, get so turned inside out with some of the formalities of church. Take baptism for an example. Baptism is good. We, I know Randall is a Baptist church. The well, we are a Baptist church. So in our, and, and at the core of who we are, believers' baptism is a big deal. And we celebrate that and love to watch when people are baptized. But baptize, baptism is merely just a symbol. It's symbolic, right? It celebrates what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, the old becomes new. And in baptism, people are not cleansed from sin, but they're showing that they have been cleansed from sin. So baptism in and of itself could be this outward, you know, expression that people can take a little bit too seriously. If they didn't really make a heart change, then baptism really doesn't mean anything. But if they've already made a heart change, then the symbolism of baptism means everything because it's an outward expression of an inward faith. How many of our things in church, in Christendom, have we kind of twisted and and made as idols and made more important than the main thing? The main thing that we are loved and that we are called to love. If Jesus was sitting at our tables today, he would rebuke us for similar things. I know he would rebuke me of similar things. Believing our presence here today is a big deal. Like, God, look, you got me to church today. You should be happy. Or God, I'm going to give, I'm going to give you this tip this morning when the offering plates come by, instead of giving God everything that we have because it's all his anyways. While those things maybe are good indicators that we're here, that we're giving, they're really not a true assessment of our heart condition. Let's read the last few verses together, the last two verses. Luke 11. 53 and 54, Jesus exposes the issue of the heart this whole time. He's not interested in pretending. And look at how people respond. And he went away from there. The scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. When you live an authentic life, when you go past the superficial and live a real authentic life, you, you're going to make people feel uncomfortable. But it's in that uncomfortableness that you would invite people then in, and then once they get past a little bit of the awkwardness, and you then you, you help them to strip away their facade, they can be real, and you can minister to them. They can minister to you. Their story is going to affect you. Your story is going to affect them ultimately with the story of God. And at first it's awkward. At first it's, it feels a little weird. But then... A beautiful thing happens because there's a a true koinonia, a true fellowship that takes place. And so these people that were walking away, these scribes and Pharisees and lawyers that were were pressing him, they they thought, man, we've got to do something to stop this guy because he's going to expose us all. 
What he's offering is real. What we're offering, we've created to make this make-believe kingdom that we have, and we like the way it feels. But what Jesus is doing right here, he's going he's gonna to call the, the counterfeit that it is. We've got to stop this guy before it's too late. How many of us in our churches kind of go along with some things that maybe aren't really what God has called us to do or be? We get too, uh, too concerned about the facade, the, the exterior, and not concerned with the heart of the matter. Knowing Milo like I know Milo, I know that his, his heart is for to walk in, in communion with God. I know that he loves people at their core. And as you follow his leadership, I know that he will lead you to places where as much as we want it to look good and sound good and be comfortable, that's not the most important thing. So I want to encourage you as a church to look much deeper than these exterior things like washing our hands and go deep into our hearts. Have honest conversations with people that you love and trust. I tell people all the time the two greatest teachers in my life are the Holy Spirit and my wife. When my wife tells me something once, I should listen, right? Men? I I need an amen there, men. Amen, yeah. Uh, But if she tells me something twice, I better seriously listen. If she tells me something three times, I'm just kind of stubborn and a bonehead, right? Because typically God will use the Holy Spirit to speak an honest word to me through her. We all have the opportunity for some close relationships, whether it's a marriage of a like-believing spouse or it's a fellowship with people from our church, in our small groups, maybe in, in, in accountability groups, moms with moms, men with men, whatever it may be, speak truth into each other. Preface it by saying, I'm not the truth. I'm not perfect. I sometimes maybe look clean on the outside, but on the inside, I'm broken. I'm hurting. And do life together and get to a place where that is a normal thing around here so that as you're sent out to really live life where it really matters, because this is kind of not where it matters, And God will use you to minister to people in a real way. And while it may make people feel uncomfortable at first, if you do it in love, they will circle back and come to you and say, okay, what's that all about? Let me pray for us this morning. I'm going to ask the band to come up and worship with us and close us out in a time of worship, but let's pray. God, I thank you for this opportunity just to spend some time here at Randall and to be encouraged by what you're doing and that there are people here to lo- who love you, who serve you. And God, even though that's hopefully our heart's desire, it, it's, still, it's still very possible, God, because I know it is for me, that we can get off track. We can, we can be not where we need to be at times. And sometimes paying way too much attention on our, on our outward expression when, God, you just want us to go to our hearts. So, God, we give you our hearts this morning. We open them up to you, and God, do the surgery that needs to Shine your light in our hearts. Convict us in these next few moments, God, and help us to live lives that are real and authentic before you. Because, God, when we live that kind of life, then we really live a life that can affect others and give you glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.